Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Ewok Maxson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm feeling like my, my voice is coming through really, like, muffled and clean. No echo. Oh, man. I am um, very distracted. I'm recording this episode in a state of feeling very distracted because I am, this is a very embarrassing way of describing this, but I am reminded of, I recently talked about this, I am reminded of something Renee Reynolds told me in 15 years ago, 15 years ago, or more, 15 to 20 years ago, Renee Reynolds <laughs> told me about her ex-boyfriend, I think it might have been her ex-fiancé. Her ex-fiancé... It's interesting because I, as I am talking about him, I imagine him. And I don't know that she ever showed me a picture. I think she just talked about him a lot. So I just have this image in my head of him where he was like a big guy with broad shoulders and a little bit heavy set, But like that, that sort of linebacker way where you don't look really... It's kind of... You're padded all over so you don't look like a big fat guy, but but you're but you're really heavy. That's how I'm imagining him. Renee Reynolds described how he was a physicist getting a PhD in physics and how oh god. Uh, hate this episode so far, but let's just keep going. Um She described how whenever he was working on a thing who knows what physicists do? You know? Whatever they do. Uh, filling up an entire blackboard with calculations. Or, <laughs> I don't know, looking at something with a lot of little lightning, light, light effects through glass from the control room. Anyway, looking at the reactor through the glass... Um, Whenever he was doing that, he couldn't chill and talk about stuff. And he barely talked at all to her, with her. They didn't really talk because he was consumed by it. And also, she talked a lot about the angle that she was really interested in that she talked about a lot was that they didn't have sex and his dick was smaller. He just had like this small inactivated dick when he was completely focused on his physics project and the thing that made a huge impression on me that I think about frequently, even though it's been 20 years since she said this, is that they still slept in the same bed. And she said that when she slept next to him, when he was in this state of singular, complete focus on a project, um, she would touch his forehead and he would be really, really hot, even in his sleep. Like he had a fever, just running extremely hot. Like... It just made such an impression on me because it just feels like that's like a human being where each cell is like working really hard. And it's like a this um, gun-like directed explosion where each cell in the entire body is working really hard in the same direction. Um, but her take on it was like that he was like a really, really smart guy and that he had this thing where he could um, also get into a state of directing all of his smarts onto this one problem that was probably so difficult that only very few people on earth could 
that he could even shoot the shit with very few people on earth about the problem, you know? But so there's a lot in there, right? And I don't think that we need to identify as geniuses to relate to it because there's something so relatable there. It's like the ultimate flow state. And I'm thinking about that now because I am, um, I am, I am, oh God. Uh, I'm trying to design a cover for my novel, you know? It's like I wrote a novel, I spent a year trying to sell it to different agents, different agents were kind of interested, different agents emailed me back and forth a lot and wanted to read the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. And it just turned into this thing where I realized that none of them have any money and they're not really connected to anything. And agents just sort of receive a bunch of stuff, but they don't really do much. And... I felt very at peace with that. So I was like, let's just focus on what I actually want in a healthy way. And what I actually want in a healthy way is to just move on and to just hold it in my hand. So I copied, I self-published it and I copied a design of a very simple Joan Didion book, the White Album. And I made, I printed it like that and 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 a couple of people um, read it and gave me a little bit of thoughts because I just felt like I wanted a final version where I have a cool cover that I've paid for. And it also includes just a couple of blurbs from people that have read it. So to get that, I first had to publish one version that they could read and then publish a final version. So now I, I'm doing that. And it's weird because Sometimes when I really get into something I care about, like vi designing, graphic design stuff, when I really care about it, it's like, it's like this state of, of um, singular focus, which is different than anything else. And there's a lot of questions nested in that because like, does that mean that I should be doing this for a living? Because like just in a very practical sense, like I have all these addictions and all this like um, very modern, just normal modern person um, coping mechanisms that everyone have. Like when you are feeling any type of boredom or anxiety or discomfort, you take your phone out and you check Instagram and it's just like this stress response that everyone does. Now, I have 10 different ones of those. I don't have any social media on my phone, but like I will read the New York Times on my phone or I will check Instagram or Facebook on my computer or I will, and this is extremely embarrassing, but we need to just be honest and say embarrassing things. I will check the value of my crypto portfolio obsessively, pathologically, um, 10 times a day, even though now the price hasn't changed, the value of it hasn't changed at all for three months. For three months, it's just plateaued, no movement at all. But I still check it multiple times a day, just like as this like nervous tick or something, some weird coping me mechanism. Um, but so then when I'm, the last three days I've spent focusing on designing this cover. I got to take my shirt off. It's so hot in here. Um, focusing on making this 
designing this cover and um i'm i realized last night that i hadn't checked my facebook or social media and i hadn't checked the new york times for three days because it's this thing where i don't have to fight it like most things that we want to do we don't want to do and sometimes you enter into this state of singular focus singular focus which really feels like a state of singularity in the mind where things just fall away and what you want to do becomes what you want to do which is rare cuz you most of the time we like we have this feeling like yeah, we want to work hard and make lots of money but like we don't want to do it because there are different levels to the mind like we want to have done it and we want all the money and we want all the success and we want all the different rewards but the task itself is like grading and then when i when 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 there are projects like this where i can get so focused on it that i do it and i want to do what i want to do it really raises that question of like does that mean that this is what i should be doing for a living and i've always said no i've always told myself no it's interesting because i have all these prejudices which are really just forms of self sabotage like i um liked writing and then i had this prejudice where i didn't want to be a journalist or i didn't want to write anything short because i didn't respect that and people would be like oh you want to write books maybe you should start by like writing in the newspaper and i'd be like <laughs> this is so embarrassing but imagine 16-year-old me saying this it's like it's like no newspapers are for wrapping up fish i will write books It's like oh god. Okay. <laughs> Can you just imagine people hearing me saying that and then they just feel like okay, so this kid is let's just walk away from this kid cuz this kid is not someone I want to talk to anymore. Um yeah, oh god. <laughs> The newspapers for wrapping up fish. I will write books. They are for libraries. And then I walk away. Uh imagine me saying that but I'm dressed like Eminem. It's like great. That's great. Um and then other prejudices is like I always really liked graphic design and spent a lot of time on it, but I always felt like it's not a real job and everyone wants to do it. So there are too many people that want to do it, so it's a waste. Or like I don't know. I don't know what the second half of the sentence is. Sometimes when in your mind when you just have a belief, the belief is really just the first half of the sentence. And then when you say it out loud, your brain sort of like does a language thing of filling in what the rest of the sentence pr- could be. But really your subconscious is just like, "No, it's not good." And that's it. Like I don't know why. And then my brain is like, "Oh yeah, it's not good because too many people are doing it." But it's like, "No, my subconscious is 
My no, maybe my subconscious did say something about too many people because I grew up and I went to this high school where that's what we learned. So I was surrounded by people doing it. So I was like, oh, there are too many people here. I don't want to be I don't want to be part of this world. But it's like whatever job you're doing, there's a convention somewhere where you can be in a big fucking room full of people doing that job. Like, that's not a good way to decide. <laughs> that's not a good way to decide not to do something, that there are other people that want to do it. Uh... And then programmers, it, 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 the school, the high school was, oh, man, it's related. The high school was graphic design and programming. It was just like you do everything on a computer and the year is 2001. And... Everyone learned programming and they were so, they were such fucking virgins, you know? So I was like, I don't want to be a programmer. And it was just prejudice. And then instead I just like, was like, I'll do something else. And then I just became an alcoholic instead professionally. And it's like, oh yeah, great, great decision making. Great decision making skills, Joachim. 35 year old restaurant worker. So... Now I'm spending all this time um, learning how to program and really enjoying it and and really fighting, saying to myself, like, why didn't I do this 15 years ago? Like, why did I succumb to that prejudice that just because those guys with with bad haircuts or like non-haircuts, hair not in a haircut is how I would describe most of the people that went to my high school. You know, pinkish, pinkish complexion, soft. These dudes were soft. Yeah, um, what was I saying? Anyway, all of that reminds me of, um, it is very applicable to, um, this book I'm reading called 4,000 Weeks where, um, I mean, I've been shitting on books a lot because I wrote this book and tried to see if anyone wanted to read it and then realized how no one reads books. Like, there's no money in books. And I spent the last, you know, 40 episodes of this pod podcast shitting on books. And, um, and I do mean that. And I do think that it's very, like, we have to be open to the idea of maybe as a human, as maybe our civilization is moving away from books as a medium. Maybe books just aren't for the future because it's too slow and boring and once we get into direct conversation with the ai where we're just like hey ai take me on an adventure and i want to see this and you just have ideas of what you want to see and you just fall through a kaleidoscopic um fever dream of everything you want to see and experience and feel and hear and the ai just like knows beauty once the AI understands beauty, bro, books, you're going to read, you're going to read books. But so devil's avocado though, the one thing where books are really, the, the one format where books really make sense is self-help because it's, which is interesting because, um, it's a very interesting thing for a pretentious person like me to say, but because it reminds me of what 
Kaiser Guo said to me once when I was in Beijing, the host of the Seneca podcast, a, a guy I looked up to immensely and, and, um, you know, cause you got to hang out and interview all these people that, um, from the New Yorker, Peter Hessler, you know, who wrote all the good books on China and all the New York times journalists who are correspondents in China and all the different ambassadors and all the different tech and just private sector, cool people. Um, I listened to everything he said. I would listen to it and just think about it so much. And then I had guiltily, but I had read a lot of self-help books in my life when he told me this when I was like 25. But I'd read them and been aware that like, yeah, self-help books aren't that cool. But then he had this rant once where he was like, if I'm in my bedroom and there's porn everywhere, I'm on my bed and there's porn magazines on half of my bed and self-help books on the other side of my bed and someone is about to come into my bedroom, I will be more embarrassed by the self-help books and I will scramble to hide the self-help books more than I will faster than I will scramble to hide the pornography because self-help is more embarrassing than anything. Reading self-help is the most embarrassing thing in the whole world. Which, um, looking back on it now, as a grown-up, I think we can say that he's overly judgy. And his vein of... Um, he is the type of pretentious that I've always gravitated to in an unhealthy way. Because it's really just this... It's like judginess Olympics, where whoever can be the most judgy must be on the top or like whoever is the judgiest is portraying or projecting an image of them being then on the highest level, then they must be on the highest level. Cause if you're looking at something and saying and judging it, then you must be above it. That's sort of how the subconscious interpret it, interprets it. So it's embarrassing to be a person that judges everything, but it's even more embarrassing to be a person that buys into it. And I've always been a person that buys into it. And just, if you are the judgiest person in the room, I'll follow you around and I'll believe in you and I'll, and I will try to be the thing that you don't judge. I will put myself in front of you and see if you'll judge me because I really need to know. I really, you know, this thing, I take all my self-worth from what other people say about me. So I, so what? I take all my self-worth from what other people say about me and not just any people. If I'm in a room with 10 people and nine of them say something good about me and one of them say something bad, then the nine that say something good will become invisible. And the one guy who's the judgiest guy, who's a pro athlete in the judginess Olympics, I will go up to him and I'll be like, why didn't you like me? Even though his stuff is always just about himself, you know? He's probably, when he says something mean about me, he probably can't even see me. It's probably just an exercise of him being in his own stuff, of him acting out his own pain and drama and, you know? That's probably just his personality disorder being on a loop. And what he said to me, which was mean, was probably the same thing he said to the last 20 people he interacted with. Okay. So, Kaiser Guo 
look, <laughs> God, it turned into a thing where I really um, got really negative on Kaiser there for a second. And that's not the point. Kaiser is allowed to be a little bit judgy. And, you know, he reads a lot and he talks to all those people and he he does his thing. And he did a lot of stuff that honestly, the thing about it, that's the real measure of a man is if you do stuff or not, because the worst person is the person who's just a critic and you don't do anything. But Kaiser, you know, he was in that band in the 90s, spring or fall or whatever, like the only fucking deadhead, dead metal fucking rocker band in China. Um, spring, <laughs> spring and autumn. I don't know. Tang, Di- Tang Dynasty, maybe the album name. He was in a band called Tang Dynasty. Um, he did stuff and then he started a podcast and then he did all this stuff. So he put himself out there and that's a form of vulnerability. And you are allowed to be judgy if at least you are vacillating between a state of sometimes being judgy and sometimes being vulnerable. And the act of creation is an act of vulnerability. So it's fine. Kaiser, you're all right. You're a good guy. Um, what was I saying? Self-help books. Yeah, so I'm reading this book 4,000 weeks. And um, it's called 4,000 weeks because that's the average life expectancy. And... Um, I'm, um, it's, it's, it's a time management book, but it's really an anti-time management book. And it has these, this is what I was going to say about it. Books are like a really boring format and it's really boring and slow to read a book and very few people do it and it competes poorly with other mediums. So if you just take a objective look at different forms of art There are many forms of art that I think we should probably abandon. And there are many things, every time I go to a museum, I feel like I become more convinced of this. Like, like I went to a museum in Reno and it's like, uh, it's like the idea that someone spends a bunch of time painting a fucking square piece of cloth and then that's their painting and then you want to, and then just because it's hanging in a museum, we have to give it the time of day and like really think about it. But really, everything is the same. And that square of visual color and texture should be compared to every square on Instagram and to see if which one do I want to look at longer. And the idea that I want to look at some museum square longer than the Instagram squares is really. I don't know. We have to open ourselves up to this, to everything being compared to everything. But none of that is even what I was going to say. What I was going to say is that when it comes to self-help, it's like self-help books usually, oh, this is such an unstructured, like distracted, horrible podcast episode. But most self-help books are like a really simple idea. Let's say most good ones. It's it's really like a simple idea that you could probably summarize in like five sentences. But there's a difference between 
having someone tell you the idea in five sentences and reading the book. Because if you're trying to rewire your brain and sort of reprogram your brain and sort of um, have something really sink in, there's something to it. There's something to a book-length experience of experiencing just an unpacking of one idea. Now, this book, 4,000 Weeks, it's like a couple of ideas, and I could tell you the ideas, and the ideas are really nice. But if I tell you the ideas, they won't sink in with you in the same way as if you read the book. The ideas are simple shit. Like, we have this way of thinking of time as a resource where, like, you think of, like, oh, this today I have four hours to do this. And then you have all these tasks and then you get really stressed out and then you zoom out and you think about, oh, and then I have next week and then these three months I can only do this. And we, we like tally it as like money in the bank, but it's really not money in the bank because really all we have is pr the present. And there is some lesson where it could perhaps be helpful to instead of thinking about it as... I have time, instead we can think of it as I am time because I am the present moment. What I have is the present moment and and then probably I, or like on average, we have the present moment for about 80 years. A little bit less probably, 78 years. And there's something to that and it's it's actually very like aa there's something very AA adjacent in it because, because the, the failure in AA, the, the, the thing we try to avoid, the failure is the big thought and the big picture because the big picture gets so heavy that, and now I'm going to flip back and forth between these two concepts here, but like in time management, when you get to focus on all the time you have and how you need to control it perfectly, that's so stressful that you will experience a sense of discomfort and you'll take your phone out and check Instagram. And then in the moment, you are distracting yourself from just being in the moment. Whereas if you let all the concepts fall away and all the conceptions of the future fall away, and if you just stay in the moment... Sure, like take out a piece of paper and write down different things you need to like remember or do. Like don't keep it all in your head. That's not the point. The point isn't like don't make a plan. Like fine, make a plan. But once you've put the plan on a piece of paper, like put that piece of paper to the side and then just sit in the moment. Because the moment is where we do shit. And the book talks at length about how there's so many things we want to do. This thing that I was saying fucking, how long have I been? Where are we here? This thing I was saying 20 minutes ago of like, there are things we want to do that we don't want to do. Like there are things we, we wake up and we go to work and we're like, I got to do this now. And then, and then we don't focus well enough, but the goal really is coherence and integration integrating, letting everything fall away that cannot be integrated and then taking everything which remains, which we actually are, everything that the present moment actually is and integrating it all into one thing. 
like the sound and the color and all of the things that the moment that right now is and to just have it be one realize that it's all one thing and then if you can be productive in that state hmm there's something to that it's worrying because i feel like if you are lucky enough to to accidentally stumble upon something that you love doing so much that you get rewarded for that you just you do it and you want to do it and you never fucking check your facebook you never even sign up for facebook then you could probably do that for 80 years and then i don't know i can imagine a person who just does his thing for 80 years and and then you know it's that concept of the the unexamined life is not worth living because the true flow status is being in an unexamined life but <sighs> yeah i don't know it's almost terrifying like like when you when you obsessively are working on the thing you want to work on it's almost terrifying like it's almost uncomfortable like when you can't stop working on it cuz you not that you even love it it's almost like you feel trapped but it's also what we want more than anything because for once we like aren't sitting there with the distractions it's hot as a motherfucker in here okay let's drink a water so the first one here this is a water that i actually was going to review last week but i just forgot now this bottle this is not on purpose this bottle is like a truly cursed bottle of sparkling water because i bought it at the cheap store and it's the brand sunny select but the label is misprinted so where the logo is supposed to be there's just a white square now as someone who spent the la- every mo- waking moment of my last 3 days with singular focus on a graphic design task i i roll my eyes at this because that's not a very good job like they forgot to paste in the logo and they just left a white square and then this cursed bottle that doesn't even have the logo on it i pull it out last week for the for the week's episode and i just forget to um review it so it's the most forgotten like if this if sparkling water was a toy story movie where all the toys are a um, little bit anthropomorphized and they have emotional lives and stuff then this shit here would be um, #disneyadult <laughs> oh madison says i'm a disney adult i think of everything in terms of what if this was toy story if this was toy story then this bottle of sparkling water here would be the saddest fucking character Someone was telling me something horrible today about like or not today but like a few days ago about how in the first Toy Story movie there's some scene where some lady they go to visit the other toys and some lady looks all roughed up and there's a bunch of guys around her and you're supposed to you're supposed to assume or understand like grown-ups watching it watching it assume or understand that that she was gang raped? Is that real? And on that note, let's drink this apricot peach sparkling water beverage from Sunny Select. Now you wouldn't know that it's Sunny Select by looking at it cuz it doesn't say, but I know. Ooh, let's read this part. Phenylketonuric neuro neuro 
ketonurix. Phenylketonurix contains, oh God, it contains plastics. This contains microplastics. Ooh. Peach apricot. Mmm. Okay, I'm going to look into the eyes of this sad, sad Toy Story anthropomorphized sparkling water bottle, and I'm going to say that you matter. You're good enough. You're good enough. That's a 7 out of 10. And you know what I always... You know what Theo Vaughn always says, that... um, Anyone can be a 7 if they brush their teeth. Yeah, anyone can be a seven. So, um, here's another abstract fucking thing that I was thinking about this week. Let's talk about it first in a not abstract way. Natasha at work really likes Johnny Depp. Doesn't that just break your heart? Natasha is my bud. She's my little sister. And she's like a, she's like a regular good person. And when I say regular, that's a euphemism for being a low-information voter. Like, I don't even know if she votes. I don't know if she th- she doesn't think about stuff too much. She never reads the news. She never reads, like, you know, think pieces in Vogue or The New Yorker. She doesn't read think pieces about Amber Heard in The New Yorker. That would pro- But maybe she should. It's just so fucking sad to me. That, yeah, that the Amber Heard thing, I haven't talked about it, you know? I, I, it was weeks ago. It happened weeks ago, but I never really, I never really talked about it at length because I don't think that there's that much to say. It's just like, yeah, there was a weird propaganda campaign. And We, the people with my values, we have this misunderstanding of the world where we feel like we assume that all people are good people. And then there are rich people and those are bad people. And all the bad opinions are because the rich people trick the people into having the bad opinions. That's like how we see the world. And it's such an infantile and childish an unrealistic way of looking at the world. Because what we realized with Donald Trump is that so many of the bad opinions are grassroots. Because these things are like, there's just cults around all over the place. There are cults around, bro. And they are self-reinforcing and self-assembling like little droids little um you know micro fucking self-assembling uh 3d printed little spider like tiny uh, things that are right in between technology and biology you know it it makes itself Breaks my heart. And then I was at work like two weeks ago or something. And and, um, we had this crazy thing happen where 
It's like a Thursday, I think. The first time was a Thursday. It's a Thursday, and um, we close at 9, and at something like 8.25, first of all, I've sent almost everyone home because we're closing in 35 minutes. There's almost no one here. I'm just going to be the only server and the only manager, and I'm just going to keep a bartender, and maybe I'll keep the busser to just clean up the patio a little bit, and that's it. Everyone else, do a little bit of side work, go home. We got this. And then, like... 15 people show up and they say, hey, so we're going to show up now in a minute. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? And they're like, yeah, we're the guys. And I don't know. I don't know. I think I, nah, I was going to not say the name, but I have to say the name. It's a thing called Music in the Mountains. Now, the thing about it is that this entire orchestra showed up. They were all dressed in black. They were (laughs) very, uh, let's be nice here and say that they were funny because they, they, without asking, just rearranged all the furniture in the entire uh, establishment. Like on the patio, they took all of our tables and just wanted a long table that they could all sit at. So they just formed all the table sideways over the entire patio, length, uh, not lengthwise, whatever the opposite is, so that there was no way to pass through the patio. And the patio is what connects the parking lot from the building So you have to be able to walk through the parking lot. Otherwise, you can't get from the lobby to the parking lot or the other building called the Purcell House. That's the old carriage house. It's like half of the rooms are in a separate building. So like we have these guests showing up in these rolly um, pieces of luggage, you know, rolling them through the parking lot. And then you have 45 orchestra members all dressed in black that have moved every single table to block the entire patio. So these guests, hotel guests arriving with all their rolly furniture, they have to duck under the fucking azalea bush and drag their luggage through the flower bed. So I don't have a lot of love in my heart for these fucking music in the mountains people. And then there's so many of them that... They take up every single table on the patio and sit on every single chair. And I'm standing in the middle of the room alone trying to talk to a room. It's a patio. I'm standing there alone trying to take 80 different orders at the same time. And then there's 12 of them just standing in the middle. And they come up to me, interrupt me while I'm talking to someone. And they're like, do you have more chairs? Because we're literally out of chairs at this point. And I'm like, no, we don't have more chairs. And also, we're not serving anymore now because I just called it. I was like, it's nine. We're going to take one order for these people. And they were like, we're with music in the mountains. And here's the thing, bro. I said it five minutes. Like, I said music in the mountains five minutes ago. But I don't know what music in the mountains is, okay? So you can't fucking walk up to me and ask for something. And I say, hey, I can't do that for you. And then you can't argue with me by saying, hey, I'm music in the mountains. It's like as if to say, hey, you got to do it for me. Do you know who my dad is? My dad is music in the mountains, okay? So you got to do it for me. It's like, get the fuck out of my face with your music and your mountains, okay? Get the fuck out of my face. So I didn't have a lot of love in my heart for these fucking people. And then... So it was every single guest that had listened to a symphony performance and every single member of the orchestra all showed up. 150 people, unannounced, whatever. And I kind of hated it. And a lot of them, they wanted separate checks. So I put together 70 separate checks for them. 
Now, I've talked about that in the past, how since I was sober, there's no lim- there's no upper limit to my mind. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, God. If it makes you feel better, I also hate myself when I say things like that. <laughs> but the point is that you know what they performed that night? They performed the Pirates of the Caribbean original soundtrack live with a symphony. And 150 people paid to go and listen to that the week after the Amber Heard verdict. Bro. Bro. We're really in this sort of post-cancellation era right now. We're like, we were trying to cancel people there for a little bit. And then we should have had more conversations about how the cancellations... The cancellations really lead to us eating our own. I read this great quote by a feminist today on some fucking website. But the quote is, and I'm paraphrasing, is like, sisterhood is strong and, and powerful and dangerous, and it mostly kills sisters. And it's some observation on how the feminist movement had a real tendency to eat to eat their own, you know? And just because we, just because it wasn't perfect, you threw the whole thing away. God, I wish I could cancel Johnny Depp. He beat the shit out of all those women and then, just because he's got acting in his corona, he decides to do televised court. Because he's got acting in his corona, he knows he's going to win depressing super depressing <sighs> I, can't, I mean okay I, I, this, I think this is what I was thinking about it or this is what I've been thinking about it's like there's something about how if something becomes fashionable unfortunately that inevitably means that it will one day become unfashionable and it's it's not good when our things, when our values become fashions. Like values shouldn't be fashionable. And there was something about all that stuff. You know, there was something fashionable about being pro-choice there. And that's like the wrong, God, this is a really unformed thought, but but there's something about that that's super problematic where tweeting that you're in favor of something brings it into the space of fashions and it brings it into the space of, or what you're really saying there is that you are voting for this to be fashionable where really what we're talking about is, is values and really I don't know it reminds me of how there's this old statistic that was repeated a lot a long time ago that I never really got over how fascinating it is. And it's how, how Obamacare was, you could poll Americans about Obamacare and pretty much most Americans, like 55, 60% of Americans would be like, nah, Obamacare is not good. It's broken. It's got, it's like, sounds expensive and it's just shitty. And it's like a brand that's shitty. And then if you break it down into the constituent parts of Obamacare, 
any part of Obamacare where you're actually describing what the policy is of what we colloquially call Obamacare, any part pulls really, really well. Because the parts are things like insurance companies have to guarantee us this and this and this. They can't charge us more than this and this and this. You have rights as a patient. They're all things where like 75, 80% of Americans are like, oh, yeah, yeah, total common sense. We need to have that going. But it's like one of those questions exists on the layer of values. Should insurance companies be allowed to not pay for your health care because you smoked cigarettes 15 years ago? And everyone's like, no, I pay for my insurance. And then they have to guarantee certain things. That exists on a level of values. And then there's this thing of Obamacare, which is like a fashion. It's like imagery on the level of fashion or not, fashionable or not, hot or not. And it's like, fuck, whenever we, there's this massive misunderstanding that when we are tweeting something in favor of Ukraine, we're really bringing it up to a level of saying, I think this is fashionable. I think this is cute. But everything which is cute will one day become not cute. That is not cute. You know? Being late for work, not cute. It's a very unformed thought, but... We don't notice how we go between these two layers is the problem. Because people talk shit about things on the fashion level, and then we connect them ourselves pretending like they're saying something about the value level, and then we get really offended. And then it happens vice versa. Like, I get so sad when someone says that Obamacare sucks. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, so you want the insurance companies to just, um, I don't know, kill people willy-nilly? I don't know. Let's drink another water. So because this is, whole episode is a travesty and everything sucks, um, here's another water that's just not connected to anything. I have two waters that are both the flavor orange cream, which is crazy. It's crazy that there's two of them. But, but the existence of two implies the existence of a third. Is a... Excuse me, a little burp there from the first water. That's a load start. Like that's a guiding principle of the podcast that I've never said out loud before. But whenever I find two of a sparkling water, I always assume that there must be a third and I keep two waiting around for a third. And then when I get a third, that's when it's an episode. So I've had these orange cream for a long time, never finding a third. And the thing about sparkling waters is they're not like people because people are lonely when they are one. People are lonely when they are one and they want one more. But waters are lonely when they are two and they want a third. Fuck, man. Maybe that's how people are too because we pair up with someone romantically and then we sit there. There's just the two of us and we get so lonely, just the two of us. Two people need a third. That's what the water can teach us. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a romantic long-term relationship, have a friend. You know what I'm saying? Have a friend. Orange cream, signature select. Oh, that's bad. Wow. Okay. 
Wow, it tastes creamy and orangey. So that's a 2 out of 10. That's a 2 out of 10, and that's horrible. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's this other thing I wanted to talk about, but I don't know if I can. It's called the 2018 Horizon Air Q400 incident. It's a weird thing where in 2018, in Seattle, a guy who was just a airport worker with no piloting experience, he clocked in for his shift in the morning. He worked for five, six hours in his shift. And then six hours into his shift, there's this surveillance footage of him driving one of those little baggage fucking baggage vehicles onto the tarmac and then driving to one of those vehicles that um like a tow truck for planes so he gets in the tow truck thing and it seems like he's driven that thing before so he drives that and pulls slowly slowly pulls a plane out and then disconnects it and drives the vehicle off and then the plane is fucking rolling. It's an uh, it's an empty plane, and he has pulled. He has towed the plane so that the plane is moving, and then he disconnects it from the tow truck and and drives off to the side. So the plane is rolling, and then he runs after the plane. It's a little plane, little enough that um, that he can reach up to it. So he, he runs after it and he hits something on the side of it so that the door opens, which forms stairs, like it's the it's the door that uh, that uh, suicide door flaps down and then is stairs. So he, in this like weird maneuver, he's running after the plane, opening the door, and then he climbs into the plane, and then he closes the door, and then he gets in the cockpit, and he has never flown a plane before, but he takes off, and all. So this is like you know. We're in the post 9-11 era, so when you have someone flying an airplane, like an airplane is seen a little bit as a weapon, right? Like if someone hijacks a plane, we assume that they're going to crash it into something and cause as much damage as possible and that they're a terrorist. That's like one assumption that we're dealing with that we weren't dealing with before 9-11. But so they scramble these like F-15 fighters and they they fly after him, but they don't shoot him down right away because he's kind of going in circles and stuff. And for an hour, he's just like barrel rolling and they, they shut down the entire airspace around Seattle. And and then they, they have him on the radio and there are all these recordings of him talking. And let me read some of the things he said. He's like, I'm kind of a broken guy. I got a few screws loose, I guess. And then they try to tell him to land on this lightly populated island where there's an airbase. And he's like, those guys would rough me up if I tried to land there. I think I might mess up, mess something up there too. I wouldn't want to do that. And then they're like, no, no, if you land the plane, everything will be fine. They're probably going to do you a job, give you a job if you, if you pull that off and land. And he's like, yeah, right. They're going to give me a job. Nah, I'm a white guy. And then, so he's clearly some fucked up sort of butthurt, like, I don't know, Seattle. In Seattle, if you're a white guy, it's easy to be a butthurt guy who's like, oh, life's so hard for white guys. Wee, wee. But so then he does a couple barrel rolls and like, and um, flies really close to the water and all this shit. But the crazy thing is that 
I was reading this and I had this extremely negative it felt so weird that I lived in Seattle at, into 2018 and didn't hear about it. Like, it's before my... Is it? Yeah, it's before my sobriety date. It's like... It makes me feel so bad how I was... How much life I wasted. Because if you are aware, like if you're lucid... And if you're here in reality, you, you, you can be part of things. You can have experiences. And instead, I lived this. It just really brought me back to how, like, my last year of the marriage and stuff, I would smoke these massive amounts of weed. And, and we had this apartment with an extra bedroom that I got to convert into an office because I was going to do stuff. But really, I just pulled a couch in there and I just laid on that couch and I just vaped weed and I just, like, disappeared. And I had no experiences and I had no thoughts and I wasn't even on my phone, bro. I, I had not, like there was, I couldn't even use my phone. I was just nothing, you know? And then stuff like this happened where there was some guy barrel rolling in the sky above me. Trying to do a fucking loop over Puget Sound and he got three meters he was three meters away from the water when he like tried to get as close as possible and then pull up like crazy shit and all like i lived five years in seattle and i had no experiences and i did nothing Ugh. this is one more unformed thought here but but it gave me this like deep sense of darkness that i hadn't heard of this I heard of this last week in a TikTok video. Someone sent me, or like I just saw some video on the internet. I don't know, if, I, probably not a TikTok video. Some video on the internet showing some some guy saying weird things into an, like a, you know, one of those staticky airplane controller things. And I'm like, what is this story? This seems interesting. And then I find the Wikipedia article and then I'm like, what? I don't know. Made me really upset. Why did that make me so upset? <sighs> I think it made me upset because one of the things that, I don't know, one of the things that happened in the marriage, and I don't know if I can blame the wife or if it's me, is that it turned into um, completely successful self-sabotage where we did nothing. Life got so empty. And then there's that concept of time wasted because it's like time is not something we have. <sighs> because from a different perspective, I can feel really good now and I can feel like the now that I'm experiencing right now is actually a very high functioning now where like I am sober and I don't and I have this um, the different things within me are under control in control enough that I don't. I am not hurtling towards drinking drugs and alcohol right now. I am okay. And the AA thing is like, I feel like I didn't finish some thought earlier about how, oh, what was that? It was like in AA, it's, you have to keep it small. 
That's what I was saying. AA is also about the present because you can't th- you can't be like I'm going to stay sober for thirty years because then you're going to fail. All you can say the biggest we're allowed to go is I'll take another twenty four. My promise to myself is that I'm not going to drink today. That's the biggest you're allowed to go. Really, it's about right now, but you're allowed to think about today and later today. But that's it. You're not allowed to think about tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow you might be a different person. And there's this other perspective where like now things feel okay. And because all we have is the now, if you're living in a moment where you feel okay now and you're 75 years old, but the first 74 years of your life were suffering, it's weird. But like in a way, like there are many different um, perspectives on how you could price different types of suffering and like giving weight to different types of suffering at different times and stuff. But like, in a way, if you just feel okay now, then everything is okay. Then it's fine that you were suffering for 74 years and that you're a 75 year old and that you feel fine now because it's over. I don't know, bro. Raley's pronounced like Israelis orange cream. Ooh, I'm not wearing a shirt. That one squirted a little bit on my chest. Mmm. This one's a gusher. Okay, so enough with the enough with the gross expressions. So orange cream. Mm-hmm. Tastes exactly like the last one. Also a two out of ten. Ab- absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So I'm happy that, and the top doesn't fit on the bottle. Okay, great. Um, A feeling that I need is a feeling of connection with the world. And one of the, and I think everyone wants that. And I think one of the reasons where one of the insidious little recipes for the success of things like Facebook and Instagram is that you wake up in the morning And you wake up with this feeling of, like, what is it that you wake up and you immediately want to check social media? I think it is something where you wake up and you wake up alone and you want to connect with the bigger world and you want an update. You want a little update and see what's going on. Like, does the world still exist outside of the four walls of my bedroom? You can't assume that. So you check your phone. And you check social media and it's something about a connection to the world that it doesn't actually offer. Yeah. And then I think there's something about this airplane story that just like stabs me in the heart about how I wasn't connected to the world. And then that reminds me of that thing in the movie Suicide Club somehow the most one of the most deliriously confusing and like poetic lines of English that I've ever been confronted with is in the subtitles of the movie Suicide Club which is a Japanese movie and it's like a very very confusing movie because it starts out kind of normal or it starts out a certain way and you and it's like a murder mystery and 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 someone commits suicide 
or like a bunch of kids jump in front of a subway car and then they assume that they there's a suicide pact suicide cult or something so there's this police officer trying to figure it out and then he gets these phone calls and it's this kid and i've talked about it before on the podcast i have to assume i've talked about it before on the podcast because it's literally my favorite thing of any anything it's this kid who between each line the kid coughs and there's something so beautiful in the the voices coming through all static over a phone line and it's like a little bit of japanese mumbling and it's like so cool sounding and then the subtitling is something like how are you connected to your mother how are you connected to your friend none of that matters how are you connected to yourself and it's like this weird repetitive um it's one line being adjusted over and over and the repeated imagery of it is how are you connected to yourself the repeated imagery and the the punchline always being something about how you're misunderstanding everything because your feeling of connection that you want you're looking outside of yourself but look there's so much like i'm interpreting in so much because it's really like a poem and it doesn't have like a explanation because the whole fucking movie is seems like there's going to be some resolution but it just gets more and more poetic and it's just like very fucking japanese okay it's just really japanese in the end but um i'm reminded of that because i do think that there's an answer somewhere there like you wake up you feel this sense of what can only be described as loneliness and then you check your phone because you want to connect to the world but really the only viable solution that isn't just masked suffering is waking up and searching for a connection to yourself it's brought to you by uh, the you know national health institute of japan anyway thank you for listening everyone i have to take a shower and go to work now <laughs>